sexy. You. Her voice is smooth and sultry, but her journey as a popular R&B jazz singer has been rough and extremely challenging. Record label executives told her she couldn't be seen in music videos because of her weight. She had a very difficult pregnancy while on tour in Japan. And internet search engines have linked her to a well-known Brazilian actress who's dead. But despite all of this, smooth jazz vocalist Mesa Lee remains a much sought-after singer-songwriter of the industry. I had some friends of mine, we were discussing starting a new genre, just starting a whole new thing. And so I think that's what we're working on now. So one day, hopefully, we'll be able to bring that to light. I'm Eddie Robinson, and stay tuned for a candid conversation with the artist better known as Mesa. Our chat is part of a fresh new smooth jazz series that examines the music format's amazing past and its uncertain future. Oh yeah, I feel you. We hear you. I see you. You're listening to I See You. I'm Eddie Robinson. According to The Zebra, a nationwide insurance data warehouse for statistics, in 2019, 82% of people admitted to committing an act of road rage in the previous year. And road rage incidents are increasing. I believe this is the case because of the format once known as smooth jazz no longer existing. (laughs) Where is the music from amazing artists like George Benson, Grover Washington Jr., Dave Coz, Norman Brown, Chris Bodie, Wayman Tisdale, George Duke, the Pat Metheny Group? Where are these artists now in our radio today? <laughs> and, and we can't forget the vocalists Al Jarreau, Foreplay, Sade, Anita Baker, Layla Hathaway, and the artists right here, Mesa. Can we change the I first heard her voice as I was driving from Mississippi to Texas on I-10 on my way back to Prairie View after spending some time home during my mechanical engineering degree at Prairie View A&M. Okay. On the radio, during my road trip, the song from Incognito, this was in 1993, the song from Incognito called Deep Waters comes on. And as I'm listening to it, I'm thinking to myself, what voice just fell out of heaven? onto planet Earth <laughs> where these weird earthlings now get to experience. Is it a for me to be feeling this the voice was <laughs> sultry. The voice was seductive. It was very melodic. It was dreamy. There was no acrobatic crazy. No Mariah Carey. No Christina Aguilera. None of it didn't need that. (laughs) I had never heard such a signature female voice like this, and it was remarkable. And then I had to find more music from this group, Incognito, because I didn't know what was going on with that name. (laughs) And another song came up that I remember. uh, It was a music video on BET called Still a Friend of Mine. And I finally had a picture of this voice. And she looked like Karen Wheeler from Soul to Soul. (laughs) But I knew it wasn't her. But it just seemed to really energize myself because finally another jazz artist that was influenced with jazz, but it was a very Mm. incredible soul voice that I really wanted to learn more about. So now fast forward three decades later, we're ever so (laughs) privileged to speak to her from her home. We have a special guest here at ICU. Thank you so much for being a guest on ICU with Eddie Robinson. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Mesa. Hello. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That was a very intense intro, but I wanted our (laughs) listeners, especially those who haven't really heard of Mesa Leak, I wanted them to get an understanding of how beautiful and miraculous your voice has been in this industry. And you've been in the business for 30 plus years. Yes. 
I'd like for you to answer our first question, no sugarcoating, be honest as you possibly can be. Mm -hmm. Why can't we hear more of your music on the radio these days? Go. Because I don't have enough money to make you hear this music. (laughs) (laughs) It costs a lot of money to put the music on the radio. Absolutely. And so, but but there's one saving grace, XM, Watercolors, and Heart and Soul have been very good to me. And they they've put me out there like uh, like I never would have imagined. Even when I was with other record companies, now I own my own record company. And ever since I've started my own label, mm-hmm. they've been extra supportive. So XM Radio is a definite godsend for, for me in my career. So that's, that's where you definitely can hear me a lot. But as far as the rest of the radio, I mean, we're tr- I'm trying. I mean, and there's some stations that have come on board. A lot of stations have come on board. But for the mainstream media, like such as mainstream R&B, no, I, I can't afford that. That's just very expensive to be heard on that. And listeners, again, you know, for those who may not be a part of the industry and not know what's going on, by the way, shout out to Blue Velvet Soul Records, your label. What does, when you say that you can't afford, what is, what, is this payola? I mean, what's going, I think that's what's getting in the minds of audience <laughs> members right now. It's like, what is going on here when you're talking about paying radio to well, air I your mean, music? This, Go. You have to hire representatives to get your music on the radio. The, that's what the, the, the indie, indie rep- representatives take your music to the stations and talk to the PRs and talk to the people in charge, you know, so... So it, that's that's how this goes now. I don't, you know, the payola part. I'm not. I can't speak to, but the rest of it, I do do know that you do have to hire people to go get your music on the radio. Wow, wow! And for those who may not have heard Mesa, describe for our audience your style, your your vocal style. What is it that sets you apart from other vocalists? I think what sets me apart from other vocalists is that I have committed my life to singing jazz, funk, and soul, and so I think that. That's where I've been. I, I kind of incorporate scatting into R&B and soul music. I lean towards a little bit of a jazzy side sometimes, but that's what I, that's who I am. I, I, I trained classically at Morgan State University. I got a degree in classical performance, but my true identity is jazz, funk, and soul music. And we'll talk about that background over at Morgan State as well shortly, but I just can't get over. I'm still just trying to figure out the music and the paying aspect. There are artists that truly get their share of recognition, right, Miss Mesa? I mean, they receive accolades. They're booked at these massive venues. Artists like Adina Menzel, Diana Krall, Josh Groban, Michael Buble. You know, I wonder why your artistry hasn't reached that stardom because you know you are a true authentic genuine black female soul singer you know jazz influenced that deserve and love Uh, people our fans are still you know listening to your music throughout these years but Mm -hmm. sometimes jazz artists jazz inspired vocalists just don't get the time of day that they truly deserve and yet we do hear from the Diana Crawls, from the Michael Bublé's. Is yeah. there, what's, what's, what do you think that's going on? Is there, it, I tend to sometimes scratch my head and think, does race on some subconscious level play a role somewhere in all of this? Was there well, ever race a, is yeah, all, t- talk to us. What, yeah, what's going race, on? race has always played a role in, in the music industry. It is, it just is what it is. It's, it's hmm. way before I was born and it's probably going to be way after I leave this world. It's, it's something that, I don't know if we're ever going to be able to resolve or solve. I mean, we if you see like the smooth jazz industry, black musicians kind of started that genre a long time ago. Absolutely. And so what's hap- what's happened is that people took it, took it took it over and decided they wanted to you know to guide it the way they wanted to guide it. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking how it's been kind of convoluted in a sense where it's just like there's no like it's, it's hard to get in on this thing. Like, I, literally, I just recently, my, my latest single just uh, broke, top, the, the debuted at number 28 on the smooth jazz charts. And, mm. and and we're not even talking about just race. It's also mm. a thing where they don't even want vocals on the smooth jazz charts. That's, that's what I've been told. 
so it's kind of hard for vocalists. It's only I think I'm the only vocalist on the smooth jazz charts right now, uh, and and I, I don't know how long I'm gonna be able to stay there. Yeah, but instrumentalists, it's like an instrumentalist kind of chart. That's what that's how they've geared it, how they they've you know developed it. Correct. So it's just so much. It's just race and this and sexism and all kinds of plays a big part of all of this this whole game. So I'm not sure how to resolve it. I, you know, I had some friends of mine we were discussing starting a new genre. No. Just starting a whole new thing. And so I think that's what we're working on now. So one day, hopefully, we'll be able to bring that to light. But other than that, I don't know how you deal with it. As far as, like, other singers in the world who've, who've done, who seem to be more out there than I am, mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. When I was younger, I was fighting that. I was like, why can't I get it? Like, I don't have a machine behind me. Like, how come I can't get this machine going? Like, I can't get people to support me and, mm. and, and invest in me and all that kind of stuff. And then when I turned 50, I just got to the point where I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to own myself and I'm going to do it myself, whether it's good or bad. I'm going to make it happen as much as I can make it happen. And, and I'm quite happy in my lane. I've, I've, I've been in the business for 31 years. And so, and I haven't had to compromise my morals or anything. Not one day. I've just worked very hard. I, I kept keep trying to put out the best and most high quality music I can afford to put out, and I think that's that's where I'm going to stay, where I'm going to stand. So I, I stand on that, and I and I and hopefully the things, opportunities will come in my life where I can get to a next level. Now the next level for me is that more people recognize my music, more people will want to buy my music, more people will come to Kitchen Karaoke on Sunday nights, and some more people will come to my concerts. That's the good part. More people to know who I am, and, and the reason why I want that. Is so that I get more opportunities to work, more, more opportunities for for television or movies or things like that. That's all I really want the next level to be. I don't want to be a person that can't walk around in peace and walk around and just hug people and greet people and just be normal in that sense. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to have bodyguards take me everywhere and all. I don't want that life. Mm -hmm. But I, but I do want the point where people can say, "Oh, now we got to call Mesa for that." Oh yeah, we should get Mesa for that. That's all I want. You're listening to ICU. I'm Eddie Robinson, and we're speaking with jazz-influenced soul singer-songwriter Mesa. She's been in the music business for 31 years, and she's collaborated with some of the best artists in the music industry today. Was there a moment, Miss Mesa, when you realized, you mentioned as a 50-year-old, but I want you to think back even when you were young and starting out. Was there a moment that made you think twice? Wait, it's like, Something's not right about this music industry, you know, where, where you felt like there was there was something else going on. Oh, wow. There's a million. <laughs> yeah, there's so many. I mean, there was in the beginning. Well, I, I had a beautiful beginning auditioning for Stevie Wonder and and singing on the Jungle Fever album. <laughs> then to auditioning for Incognito over the phone and being flown to London within two weeks and then living there for four and a half years and recording with Incognito and then being at the North Sea Jazz Festival. And after the show, a man walks up to me and he says, Mace, are you ready for your solo career? And that was Carl Griffin from GRP Records who signed me to Blue Thumb Records. If you can take us back to that 1993 even, look, because according mm -hmm. to Billboard magazine, the smooth jazz format received a significant rating increase in the fall of that year. And I wow. believe that was, you know, right when Deep Waters from Incognito was being released. Right. <laughs> Talk to us about that era because, um, you know, we're Generation Z. They're like, you know, right. what? Y'all was going to record stores? What is that called? You know, talk to us about <laughs> that era. Store? Yeah, exactly. The era of smooth jazz. Talk oh, to it's us. fantastic. Can you imagine living? It was so magical. It's like, it was so amazing. Yeah. Back in that time, being in the music industry was so fun. Because I mean, especially when you when you have achieved a certain level in the industry. I mean, we we rode around incognito. We just had it was just so amazing. With my first record deal, the incognito stuff, we just had like I was signed for cars would come pick me up. I just had to sign a piece of paper and like I didn't do anything. You know, now they make you take Ubers wherever you go. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, we had to pay for all that stuff eventually. You eventually, know, every, right. and I still have a bill from my first album. I, I still owe two hundred thousand dollars, something like that. Oh, but it was beautiful. The whole industry was—it's a, it's a whole protocol that we had going on. It was so great, and now it's just changed so dramatically. Like you know, you're really on your own, and that's why I decided to be on my own. I said, "Well, if I'm going to be yeah. on my own, then I'm going to own myself," and that's the way it is now. It's just just a whole different ball game. It's going in record stores 
and having your record come out and doing in-store <laughs> signings, all that. I miss that so much. I remember, so and but fun. you know what? What even was fascinating to me was I was in New mm. York City around 1998, 1999. I stayed there for nearly 20 years. But I'm going to give mm. you just this interesting sort of nugget that what happened to me when I was trying to find your music. And I walked into Virgin Megastore oh, wow. in Times Square trying to find Mesa. Mm. I walked into mm. the jazz section. I mm-hmm. couldn't find you there. I walked into the mm-hmm. easy listening vocal section, mm-hmm. you know, the Michael Bublé's and the you know, Diana Krall's. Mm-hmm. I didn't find mm-hmm. you there. I walked over to the mm-hmm. R&B section. Mm-hmm. I still didn't find you there. Wow. I was just about to give up, but then haphazardly, accidentally, walked into the world section. And, okay. and wow. bam, there wow. you were, <laughs> Mesa in the M's. And so I think sometimes, too, that it was really hard for the public, i.e. me, to find you. And there's this confusion or misalignment to how artists should be categorized. And, you know, with jazz and jazz vocalists, because on one hand, you had these jazz fans who were basically saying exactly what you said a few minutes ago. Jazz fans Mm -hmm. was like, why are you bringing in vocals? This is weird, weird. And then you right. had another hand of artists with people who are smooth jazz fans loving right. this, but wondering why are you bringing in adult contemporary and mixing in Maroon 5 and Cher right. and this, that, and the other when we're trying to hear really good, smooth, authentic jazz artists. And so right. it built on that ambiguity and that impacted record sales in my mind, yeah. right? And that ambiguity yeah. is a component that feeds into the success of someone early on. And I could imagine yeah. how challenging that was for artists like you and others yeah. that wanted to have that breakthrough. But that genre confusion and where to categorize, I think, might have been on some level subconsciously deliberate. Right. It feels that way. I've always felt hidden. I don't I don't know. I can't like yeah. you describe that perfectly, but I've always felt hidden through this whole thing. And I couldn't understand why. Like, why am I being hidden? And so. I had to go into this kind of spiritual thing with God and say, okay, God, if you're hiding me, then that's fine. I'll get, when you're ready to reveal, you know, my time is, when my time comes, it comes. So then I have my solo career. And then in 2006, I, we go back to the beginning, even when I was being successful with Incognito and being successful mm-hmm. with, you know, the, it was always a question of mm-hmm. my weight. And if, if you could, it, you know, if, if only you would lose weight, you would be a superstar. And so I kept that this in my mind. I was kind of like, okay. And even when I got small and I was at the smallest, it wasn't small enough. And so that kind of did something to my psyche, definitely. And I, I, I you know, through life stresses and all these things, I put on more weight. So I, I got to the point where I didn't care. I was like, people accept me at the weight I am and just listen for my voice and just listen to my music. And that's where I was with it. And I kind of got that at, yeah. that attitude. And so... That was hard, and that was a lot. That was very hard in the beginning. We didn't. I was told that we didn't do a video for Deep Waters because they didn't think I was had the right look for it. Wow. No. Yeah. So it was like, and it's amazing because I, I mean, I was small. I, wow. I wasn't big at all. Nothing compared Whoa. to where I am now. That's fascinating. So it's like so strange to me. So it wasn't. It was weird. Yeah, weird timing. And so I've always had that in my mind. All I asked for when I was a teenager on my parents' basement floor with headphones, listening to music and praying that I get to the point where I can make records and, the, and people will come see me at my shows. I, I ask God for longevity and that's exactly what I'm getting. So I, I'll take the longevity over over the, the fly-by-night kind of or or burnout kind of existence in, in the industry. It, it's uh, like the one-hit wonder, you know what I mean? So I, I'm I'm just grateful that is I've had years and years and years of recording. I've recorded with Incognito, I don't know, 18 albums. I've recorded, I'm working on my 14th solo album. And now, and then have all sure. the guest appearances I've done. So I have a very huge discography. And so I'm just proud of that body of work that I've been able to, to, to accomplish all these years. And it is absolutely remarkable. And just hint, hint to your folks, <laughs> your digital footprint, Miss Mesa, and someone needs to tell <laughs> Yahoo, if you're doing a search on Mesa Leak, 
You are not Mesa Matarazzo. Yes. The Brazilian singer who died in 1977. I know, when I was a kid. I'm trying to tell you, we, we have tried to fix that because for some time, YouTube and, and Yahoo and Google, they, they put her name up there instantly. And I don't know if that, what that results in, what I don't know what's yeah, going to happen. I have to figure that out. Yes. I've hired attorneys to try to get it's that all, get, It gets into out. the confusion, right? The ambiguity that hurts or right. impacts long-term sales and digital revenues of your music. Yes. Just putting that out there. Yeah, can you write that down? You can't text that to me because I, I need, you said that perfectly. I want to. I want my attorneys to say that. Coming up, more with jazz vocalist Mesa. And find out why Stevie Wonder waited a full year to collaborate with the singer. And how the legendary artist nonchalantly gave Mesa a song he was just fooling around on the piano playing. I'm Eddie Robinson. Stay tuned. ICU returns in just a moment. If you're enjoying this program, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast, ICU with Eddie Robinson. You can hear all the past episodes and be notified when new episodes are released. Also, please take a minute to give us a review or comment. We love getting feedback from our listeners. It's ICU. I'm Eddie Robinson, and we're speaking with jazz-influenced soul singer Mesa Leak. She's better known as by her first name, Mesa. And we're talking to her about what happened to smooth jazz, and has this genre music format faded away? We'd love to hear your comments, so feel free to send us your comments. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram or via our show page, I-S-E-E-U-Show.org. The time is right. Hold me tight And love's got me high Please tell me Miss Mesa, you know, how were you able to Mastercraft this brilliant Honey-toned voice of yours? I mean, how did it all begin? How did it all get started? You know, I, I don't know I, I guess... I started singing when I was two years old, my, my, but my mom took me to see Pearly when I was six years old. And when Melba Moore came out on stage and I saw the lights and the costumes and the dancing and the props and whatever, it was just a mind blowing. And I knew that I wanted to be a singer from that point on. So I kind of started honing my craft from that point. And then as I grew, my voice started changing and I started doing, you know, junior high and high school talent shows and plays and the choir and all that kind of stuff. And so I kind of, I just think of listening to Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughn and Carmen McRae and, and Thelma Houston and Patti LaBelle and Shaka Khan and, and so many singers who, and also instrumentalists, you know, Stanley Turrentine. I listen to him a lot. Miles Davis. I mean, a lot of that, you know, and, and, and the number one reason why I'm a scat singer today is because of Al Jarreau. My uncle told me at 12, he said, Mesa, turn on PBS. And I turned on PBS and Al Jarreau was inside his band scatting as if he was an instrument in the band. I instantly knew that it's like the light bulb came on. I was like, I want to do that. And so I started trying to teach myself how to scat and, and listening to instrumentalists and try to emulate the, the horn licks and all those things. So that's, the, that's where I think it all came from. It's a, it's a host of people who have influenced me. It's my life. It's my body. My, the whole, my whole body cavity. It's, it's, my voice comes from my body, of course, and it resonates mm-hmm. from my body and stuff like that. So and it's, it, it's also it's so many things. It, it, my voice is influenced by colors of what I hear, what I see, what I feel, what I smell, what I taste. It's it's all in there. And so I'm proud of it. I'm glad that people think it's, it's unique and I'm glad that people are enjoying it. That's that's the, that's a God-sent gift and I, I'm so grateful. As a graduate of Morgan State University, you know, describe for us your own reasoning behind venturing into pursuing a degree in classical performance. You know, because that tells me you've had some extensive training in this field, I would imagine. Yeah, I have. Thank God I did because the training has helped sustain my voice for all this time. 
just three decades of of, of professional singing. And so, it, it, to me, it, I mean, I needed that. I, I I wish that for everybody to take that, get that kind of training, whether you do it through YouTube videos or you do, do it with a, a live teacher, with, which I was blessed to do. Um, Betty Ridgeway at Morgan State University, she really trained my voice. Being under the direction of Dr. Nathan Carter with the choir, he helped train my voice. So, so I, I know how to sustain it, and and through I know how to sing through sickness and through tiredness and through all these things. It, it might not be perfect, but it'll be I'm able to get through it. I think it's only one time I really lost my voice, and that's because I I was a, my cousin that moved in and they had a, a, a rabbit and I was allergic to the rabbit or something. That's only look at it. I didn't even know. Like I went to all the doctors. We went. To, I went to my ride carries doctor. Cost wow. me a fortune up in New York. To have this man tell me there's nothing wrong with my throat. And I'm like, something's going on. I sound like a man right now. Something's going on. And so he, he was like, we don't know. So then he said, are you allergic to anything? And I said, well, there's a, my cousin has a rabbit. He's like, oh, well, there you go. He said, wow. you're allergic to rabbits. So I was like, okay. And as soon as we got rid of the rabbit, my voice came back. Oh, no. Throw this little ass off my house. No. What's up, Doc? Hey, what's up, Doc? It's I See You. I'm Eddie Robinson. And we're speaking with jazz-influenced soul singer Mesa. Explain for us, you know, because I, I heard you say something about auditioning for Stevie Wonder or something. How did that come about with you teaming up with Stevie Wonder? Well, my best friend, Kimberly Brewer, has, was already singing with him. She had left Morgan a year before, prior, and she and she went out to California with a girl oh. group, and the girl group didn't work out. She was auditioning. Uh, she was working with Mickey Howard one day. She was walking, leaving from rehearsal, and... And someone asked her, did she want to audition for Stevie Wonder? She was like, yeah, right. And then they said, no, we're serious. And she auditioned for him. She passed her audition. And and then a, the year later, they came to Morgan to work with the, the choir on the Martin okay. Luther King birthday celebration. We would do it every year. And then at, while he came there, she said, you know, she asked Stevie, could I audition? Because he was looking for an alto voice, I think. And so she asked him, could I audition? And I did that day. For his band. Yeah, for, 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 for being a wonder love. Well, but Kim, yeah, Kim asked him if I could audition, and so I did, and I passed the audition. But it, I passed the audition that day, but I wasn't ready. To, I had one year left at Morgan, and I asked him, could he please let me, let me come to California next year? I just wanted to finish my degree, wow. hand it to my parents, and then move to California. And he was so gracious and sweet about it, and that put me in the right place at the right time because he was working on the Jungle Fever album, and my first professional recording was singing backgrounds wow. on these three words. All these nuggets yeah. and to think that <laughs> for anyone else this was a chance of a lifetime right i mean for someone to be you know to get this oh, yeah. opportunity Absolutely. and then you're like uh, please you know mr wonder one more year can you kind of hold off <laughs> and he was thrilled in that reaction <laughs> uh-huh. that decision yes he was he was very he was yeah. very cool about it very sweet about it and then you know as soon as i graduated it, it was like i called i was like is there anything I can do out there? You know, just, I know it's been a year. And they were like, yeah, come on out. We're working on the Jungle Fever album with uh, Spike Lee. Come on, try to do that. And yeah. I couldn't believe it. It's just the first, you know, studio session okay. was uh, amazing. The call time was 3 p.m. Stevie showed up like 1, 2 a.m. Oh. <laughs> so we sat there all the time just hanging out, watching movies, <laughs> ordering food, uh, you know, practicing. Yeah. And all that stuff. It was so, so fun. And then, you know, then I sang on a couple, I think a few more songs on the album. I actually have a solo at the end of the song called I Go Sailing. I have a, a solo on the end of that. You sang on that? That's a beautiful track. Yeah, I love that song. Yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah. I love that song, yeah. But that's me at the end. You're listening to ICU. I'm Eddie Robinson, and we're speaking with jazz-influenced soul singer-songwriter Mesa. You also, and by the way, you recorded a track with him, if I'm not mistaken, he co-wrote called Have Sweet Dreams. Tell us, that's one of my favorite songs. Tell us more about that song and the inspiration behind that. Go! (laughs) Okay, well, Stevie was, well, Kimberly had written Uh a song for my album. At that time, I can't remember the album. Motions of Love album. She had written the album, I mean, a song for the album. And I went to California to record the song. Stevie was going to produce it. 
And we got to the studio, and he was playing the melody to, to have Sweet Dreams on the piano. And she said, Steve, what is that? And uh, he said, oh, just something I'm just playing around like on the piano. And she said, so is that a Mesa song? Is that a Stevie song? He said, this can be a Mesa song. And I was like, what? Wait a minute, what? <laughs> I'm getting a brand new Stevie Wonder written song. This is crazy. And so he was like, you know, he was a big fan of Michelle Obama. So he, he wanted to write a song that he would, that was dedicated as if he was speaking for her, like from her to, to our president, our forever president. <laughs> and so she, you know, he, it was just such a, I was just so honored to sing on that song. To sing a Stevie Wonder song, period. But then to sing for the, the uh, floaters and, you know, floaters, yes. I, I was just amazed. I was like, wow, this is historic to me, you know? So Half Sweet Dreams was a dedicated song to Michelle Obama? Yes, from, from Michelle Obama, as if he was written, writing from Michelle Obama to Barack Obama. Oh. That's, that's the story. That's the story that he wrote for that. So that's so the story is about him, about supporting our, our black president. Amazing. That's on a personal level, like what she would do, how she supports her husband. The brilliance of Stevie Wonder. We have a video for that. We made a video. Yeah, there's a video for okay, it. Okay, on, uh, on YouTube. YouTube, under, you know, under my name. But it's, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's, uh, yeah. you'll see how it, uh, how of, it impacts. It's, it's just it, such a beautiful oh, video. It's a lyric video. But it's, it's a fantastic. very beautiful song, too, from the Motions of Love album, which is a great, great album. So how did you get caught up with Incognito? You were saying something about auditioning over the phone? You know, what was what was that about? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was... <laughs> well, while I was out in California, I was doing some other work for other producers, and one of the producers happened to be best friends with Bluey. Bluey, the lead singer or the manager? The founder and producer of Incognito and guitarist and songwriter. He was looking for a new American singer because they had a big success with jocelyn brown and the song always there so he wanted an american singer to be the focal point of his band and so he asked the guy's name is steve harvey is a drummer from scotland he said steve i need i need a list of singers in la that you think would be a good fit for incognito and so he wrote it wrote 25 names down and bluey said to him which one of these i don't know anything about any of these women on this this paper so tell me which one of these women would you leave your children to? And he said, Mesa, definitely Mesa. And that's why Bluey called me first. And we talked over the phone, spoke over the phone, spoke about music. And, and he said, Mesa, can you sing Don't You Worry About a Thing for me? So I sang it to him. He said, can you change the key and sing it again? And I changed the key and I sang it again. He said, okay, I'm going to tell my manager that we're going to that we're gonna bring you over before the audition. We'll call you in a, in a week or so and let you know when your audition is. And the next morning, his manager called me and said, I don't know what you sang to Bluey, but you got the gig. We're not looking for anybody else. And so they flew me to flew me to England, I think uh, probably three weeks later. Mm-hmm. I closed up my apartment in L.A., sent all my stuff home, UPS, and got on the plane and went to London <laughs> at 24 Amazing years old. Amazing story. Crazy. Very I was brave. brave. I was just looking at back. I mean, now it's like oh. I was looking back at how brave I was to do that. It's crazy. But I was going for it. Though. I was determined that I was going to be a success. I, I was determined that I was going to get, you know, just do something. I didn't know what Incognito was. I couldn't. Back in the day, it wasn't Correct. like you could go on YouTube back and just find out. Mm-hmm. I had to. I went to the record store and I saw always there and listened to the music. I said, oh, this is what they are. Yes. It's like jazz, funk, and soul. I was like, whoa. Wow. I said, this is one of my dream. <laughs> Coming up. The extraordinary story of how jazz vocalist Mesa struggled financially with her career. The singer shares how she was pregnant and going into labor while touring in Japan on stage during a performance. It's a story you cannot miss. And if you like what you're hearing, there's more where this came from. Our digital show page is iseushow.org. Preview this episode and check out the ones you've missed. And be sure to download previous episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 
Don't forget to leave us a comment, rate the episode, and share with others. I'm Eddie Robinson, and I see you. We'll be right back. If you're enjoying this program, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast, I See You with Eddie Robinson. You can hear all the past episodes and be notified when new episodes are released. Also, please take a minute to give us a review or comment. We love getting feedback from our listeners. You're listening to ICU. I'm Eddie Robinson, and we're speaking with jazz-influenced soul singer-songwriter Mesa. We're hoping later in the show we'll get to hear a touch of acapella from Miss Mesa exclusively for ICU. <laughs> As I understand oh, it, <laughs> you do have a son. His name is Jazz, and you yes. mentioned he was born prematurely at 25 yes. weeks while you were on tour with Incognito yes. back in 1999. Yeah. What happened there? Go. Tell us about yes. that story. I know. I don't know. We, well, during the whole pregnancy, I was sick. I had a rough pregnancy. I think we were on the road a lot. Mm. I was running a lot of secondhand smoke. Mm. So it was difficult to be pregnant at that time. And so I, 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 I tried to make it through every show. And I, I mean, every city, I went to the hospital. It, when we landed... I went to the hospital while they went to the hotel. It was just that that crazy. And and so I was able to make it through the shows, but we had one more tour left to do. Um, my doctor said, because that six months, after having so many issues, the doctor told me that he wanted me on bed rest, wanted me to stay home. I told him that I needed to do this one last tour to make enough money to stay home for, after the baby was born. If I could just go on this last tour, I could stay home. And so he said one more and I went on a tour, went to, got to Fukuoka. We did fine. Then I got to the second week. And while we were on stage, I felt my water breaking. And But it wasn't like a, like a dramatic kind of yeah. pouring out like you see on TV. This was like a trickling oh. kind of thing. So I kept singing and I kept, you know, I kept working. I kept doing it, you know, doing my job because, right, you know, I was right. like, I got to make this check. Maybe you thought it was sweat or something. I don't, I don't check at all. But I was in pain. So I kept going to the hotel every night, taking hot baths, taking Tylenol, try to get through the night and wake up the next day. I was in so much oh. pain. I didn't have no idea I was in labor. So I was in labor for, for two and a half days before I even went to the hospital. Didn't had no had no clue. So I get to the, the next the morning we were leaving, the Sunday morning, we were leaving to go to Tokyo to do the last week. The doc, I came down to this lobby and Bluey said, Mesa, you don't look so good, babe. Are you okay? I think I just... I was just in so much pain. He said, I think you should go to the hospital. And so they sent an ambulance for me and they took a while. You know, I was, you know, they didn't have any black women and black American women having babies in Japan at that time. So I was like, this crazy, you know, this, this kind of like, what are we going to do with her? So it took them 45 minutes to find me a hospital. But the thing is, they took me to Aizenbashi Hospital, which, and again, another miracle God put in my life was the best hospital for premature babies at that time <laughs> in the world. <laughs> it's just oh. amazing. So I got, I got there and, uh, and the, and my son was born and I had an emergency C-section. I remember it so vividly. I, I woke up and I couldn't see him. I couldn't move. So they brought me pictures of him. And then when I was finally able to, mm-hmm. a few days later, I was able to walk down to mm-hmm. the NICU to see him. I outstretched my arms so they could put them in my arms and they put them in my hand. And that's when I, I lost it. Even though he was perfectly formed, perfectly strong, he, he needed he was on oxygen and they had him um, in the incubator, but he was still very healthy. But I was distraught because I thought we could be medevaced home. I just wanted to go home. I wasn't thinking clearly. I just wanted me and my baby to go home. And so the, the doctor said his lungs are very a great for a 25 week old baby. If, if you put him on a plane, he won't survive. So we we stayed there, and 10 days later, I mm-hmm. I had healed enough Jeez. to leave the hospital. And they suggested, and I called my friend April Ryan, who's you know April Ryan, the White House correspondent. And so April Ryan called Al Gore. Al Gore gave the number to the the head of the embassy in Osaka, and they walked me through the whole process of having a baby in a foreign country. I had a lot of paperwork to do. I had to sign paperwork to say that I wasn't abandoning my son, that I was going to come back. So I had to leave, go back to the United States and wait for him to gain weight so that he, could, he was able to get on the airplane. 
So to be separated from my brand new premature baby for two and a half months was absolute torture. My phone bill was insane. I, I called the hospital every day, all day long. <laughs> Wanted to know if he's all right. And he, you know, there's a point where he wasn't drinking any milk and I had to, I went in my prayer closet and I said, God, please. I said, Jazz, drink this milk. Because like, mommy coming to get you. So drink your milk so mommy can come get you. And then the next day I would call the hospital. I said, oh, Jazz drinking milk very well today. <laughs> you know, It's like all these things we went through. And then to, to go back there uh, two and a half months later and pick up my mm. beautiful mm. little baby. He was so teeny. It was just an amazing day. I I, I remember that. Yeah. I remember every yeah. every sense, every <laughs> every that temperature. I remember all of it. It's so surreal that I remember everything. And I mean, they had me go through sure. mommy classes. It was just so beautiful. It was it was a beautiful day. And then I brought my son home, and now he's just, he's just a healthy and strong college graduate. He's oh, a wow. videographer and a photographer, music producer. <laughs> He has a beautiful girlfriend. They, they're doing really well. So he's just, he's healthy and strong. And that's all I could ever ask for. What kind of legacy would you like to leave behind for him? Wow. That's, the record company is definitely, well, I think mm-hmm. because I've carried myself a certain way as a lady, I have a great reputation. I think that's what I could leave in my son, that he can be proud of his mama, knowing that I didn't, I compromised myself to make music. I, I worked very hard. I put out the highest quality music that I could do. And I think all those things will follow him in his life, I hope, and, and, and something he can stand on. So that's why I started the label also, so that one day, you know, after I'm retired and after I leave this world, my son can have mailbox money and my, my future grandchildren can get go to college because okay. grandma, you know, worked hard in my lifetime. You know, so that's my goal. That's what I want to leave to in the future. I want to leave... I want him to understand. I want people to tell him that they that my music helped them through their lives, and that so that he knows that I, he came from somebody who really loved him. I want him. I want him to be proud of me. That he can be proud of his mom. It's I see you. I'm Eddie Robinson. And we're speaking with jazz-influenced soul singer Mesa Leak. She's better known by her first name, Mesa. My favorite Mesa track of all time is taken from the album Back to Love. The song is called Heavenly Voices. My soul is crying out for the magical, mystical land Where dreams are born and peace is always at hand Absolutely beautiful from beginning to end. The lyrics are so on point. My father passed away in 2018, and as a legacy for him, I promised him that he would be a grandfather someday, but then he died. Very surprising and, you know, just unexpected. But as a gay man, a single gay man, I had to have a way to figure out a way to have a family of my own. And so I just had a baby, and he's, he's, when this show will air, he's one year old, and so grateful for that but this song heavenly voices becomes almost like a a song that provides a soothing balm if you will a soothing balm of oil for my soul and every time i hear this song my soul feels happy and it feels it brings me joy and it's not even a gospel song you know But the intro is what I love the most about Um, the keyboard arrangement, you know, and the and the intro kind of brings it back in in the middle, and then you can enjoy that journey as it continues to kind of give you some great key changes and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I just love that song. Thank you so much. Is is there a story or a narrative tied to that track somehow, Miss Macy? It's it's beautiful. Thank you, honey. (laughs) Thank you so much. I wrote that for my parents. Basically, it's like they're both in heaven. So after my mom passed in 2012, I, I wanted to pay a tribute to them and say, to this is how I, I asked God to reunite me with my parents by allowing them, when it's my time, allowing them to come get me. And that's, I hope and pray that because those are the first two people I definitely want to see, you know, when that time comes and hopefully in a long time from now. <laughs> and it's just that, you know, it's like the, the whole thing about love. See, you know, it's it's 
it's it's also the song is also based in the idea of like you know what heaven should be and and how we can even achieve that here on this on this earth by our thoughts and our attitude and how we treat each other and, and you know it's so cliche it's like you know love one another and all this stuff but people seem to struggle with that that's what I was going to say the divisiveness of where we're at and I guess that's where I am in my life especially at this point I just wish people would leave with love first I know there's so many issues that people that you know you know can violate you and can and can you know do things to you that, that make you angry and and I just wish we would just leave with love first and I think we can make this more beautiful and you know I, I had to ask you I mean you've, you've come across some really great covers that you've recorded yeah the the one that really sticks in my mind is the remake to the Michael Jackson thriller cut, Lady in My Life. When I first noticed this song, I'm like, wait, is she? Oh, gonna, yeah. What, 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 she, what, what she getting ready to do? She's, she's got to switch up the vocal, the lyrics or something. But it's a fantastic <laughs> cover. There'll be no darkness tonight. Baby, our love will shine. What does the future of smooth jazz look like you know are we to simply look towards more smooth jazz cruises you know more concerts live performances across certain select cities you know i'm being i'm not um complaining but it seems you know that's how smooth jazz is being treated right. you know through a geographic lens of you know what city does this format translate in the most dollar signs yes we'll go to oakland yes we'll go to los angeles yes we'll go to chicago yes we'll right. go to New Orleans, you know, is this the extent of our smooth jazz palette, you think? Mm. You know, what what is what does this future look like? Do you think it can be revitalized some way? uh, Smooth jazz. It's definitely going to evolve. It has to evolve. Yes. It's been been stifled for too long. Like, I think we're going to have to branch off. I think we're going to have to split it in a sense where we're going to definitely have to put some vocals. Mm -hmm. They could be a smooth vocal genre. So that mm-hmm. singers can have a say in this whole thing, and you know, and also, you know, I think demographically we're going to have to also cater a lot more to the black artists who are not being heard right now. So we're going to have to, you know, like I said, with, I have friends of mine. We're talking and now about how to make our own genres, another not just vocals but other other areas too. So we have to figure out how to split this thing and make it more but it's, it's smooth jazz is always going to be needed and wanted and it's going to be here so we're going to have to figure out how we can be more represented in it or better represented i should say throughout the course of your life your career as a as a hard-working mother remarkable singer songwriter who's been around the world and i i i i with an amazing story <laughs> What lessons, Miss Mesa, have you learned about yourself thus far as you continue on your journey? I've, re- I've learned that I know how to adapt. I know I, I know I am I'm a resilient person. I, I can bounce back from the most hateful words spoken to me or the treatment or the it, people ignoring me or, or not valuing me. I've, I've learned how to fight through all of that and to, to continue my journey. I learned how to be happy throughout the whole thing, even in the saddest and the hardest parts. There's something deep inside my soul that keeps me happy and grateful for my experience here on this earth. So that kind of guides me throughout my whole life. It kind of, it's like my magic carpet. So so what I do is I stay focused. I stay loving throughout everything. No matter what, I stay happy no matter what. And that's how I'm able to, to how you say, how can, how can, um, I can live on this earth in a, in a sense where I feel fulfilled and, and, and feel like I'm here for a purpose. And that's the only way I can survive. So that's how, that's how I'm surviving. We would love to get a little taste of something that you can share with us vocally. <laughs> um <laughs> Let me yes, see. Yes. What can I do now? I can't think. Wait, I get put on the spot. I can't think of all the all the <laughs> five or six hundred songs I have out there. I, I can't think. <laughs> I just sing a little bit deep waters. I think. Is it a crime for me 
to be feeling this way. I'm going out of my mind, and there's no change from my runaway love. Is it a dream? Is it a dream that I'm throwing in the wishing well? I'm losing control, body and soul. Body and soul standing here waiting for a train that may never come. I saw the signs, I read the book. I should have had a second look, but boy, you caught me dreaming. And there were times you'd come around and we'd agree just to be friends. Tell me who was fooling who deep waters I'm drowning deep waters slowly drowning deeper. Thank you, Miss Mesa. Oh, that was <laughs> Thank fantastic. You, <laughs> Thank, thank you, so you much. Thank you for being <laughs> candid. Thank you for being very descriptive. And thank you for being authentic. We thank love, you, <laughs> love your appearance here on ICU. We really appreciate this. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Jazz vocalist Mesa is our first artist in a new ICU series examining the music format of smooth jazz. We'll be featuring more artists in our series in future episodes to come. Visit ISEEUshow.org for more details. And be sure to download previous episodes of ICU where you enjoy your favorite podcasts. Our team includes technical director Todd Holslander, producer Laura Walker, editors Mark DeClaudio and John Mitchell Good. ICU is a production of Houston Public Media. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm your host and executive producer, Eddie Robinson. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, I feel you, we hear you, I see you. Until next time.